Let's jump straight into it. Let me look. Last night we've got some victories in Georgia. The union members, churches, immigrant rights groups, all kinds of youth groups made that happen. There were people on the ground there for a long time. We should be somewhat happy about that. At the same time, we've got Trump supporters uh, breaching the Capitol building, and they're armed right now. Uh, and there's thousands of them, including members within the Republican Party, who fail to recognize the legitimacy of this campaign. Mm-hmm. What are you thinking uh, today, Bill? What, what's going through your mind as you see this after last night, after Biden's election, and seeing what's developed today? Well, I think that it's been predictable, Vince, um, and that the problem is that for too long, there's been this level of denial about what's going on with this right-wing populist movement. Um, and when you have Trump, who I think an, a serious argument needs to be made of uh, inciting to riot on his part, uh, of encouraging people to, um, yeah, so they're disrupting the vote count, apparently. Yeah. Um, you know, encouraging people to break the law, to disrupt this process, um, I, I think that uh, criminal charges need to be brought forward. I, I mean, this is a coup, a coup attempt. And um, I think we have to make sure that it doesn't succeed. When people see what's going on right now, some of their first reaction is, we need to get in the streets, we need to battle these people, we need to arm ourselves. What do you say to people who are thinking, in my opinion, that response comes from a place of disempowerment. It comes from a place of not necessarily being organized and having a real strategy to move forward, but trying to react to this kind of Trump violence, which has also been a concern of mine, because I, I wonder what you think in terms of how we should respond. Do you think that there needs to be people in the streets at moments like this, or do you think... Uh, the real challenge is sort of getting back into communities, workplaces, organizing the kind of institutions uh, that can build the kind of political power that would make us uh, the hegemonic force uh, in this country. Um, Both. Um, I think that in a situation like this, it helps to always outnumber the other side. Um, But I think that the long term, so so we need to outnumber the, uh, the other side. I think that we need to push the government for criminal prosecution of all involved, um, in up to and including the president of the United States uh, for incitement to riot. Um, and, uh, but I think that there's a longer term process of organizing and of confronting at the local level uh, these um, fascists. You know, the thing, the thing with dealing, we're dealing with something where some of these people simply are not going to be able to be convinced by facts. We have to, we have to out-organize them. They have uh, put themselves into a delusional bubble, and, um, and that bubble reinforces itself in part through things like Trump's tweets as well as through various mainstream media, uh, right-wing mainstream media. And, um, and we're going to have to figure out ways of battling this back. And, and some of it is going to be um, 
the kind of campaigns that we take up at the local level. But the most immediate thing that has to happen is that this coup attempt needs to be blocked. These guys need to be arrested and prosecuted to the full extent of the law. And charges need to be brought against Trump. Who do you think we could have mobilized for a moment like this? In other words, Bill, what drives me nuts is that we weren't mobilized. I heard you in a previous interview, and I think it was spot on. You had said, why in the hell don't we have thousands of people surrounding McConnell's house? Right. Today, we knew that this shit was coming. You know, these, right. uh, these people have been planning this for weeks and months. They've been all over Twitter promoting it. Mm-hmm. Who do you think are the forces that we could mobilize? In other words, we have the unions, we have a DSA, we have some uh, alternative political parties, but they don't have much of a membership. There are community groups, there's immigrant rights groups. What's been frustrating to me is a lack of cohesion and a lack of coherence on our part. What we're doing, what we're combating, and finding a message that we could sort of rally around in this time right now. There is um, there's a lack of leadership uh, and a sense of passivity, I think, on the part of many leaders. I, I, I think that one of the things that we're up against, Vince, is that there has been a kind of message conveyed by much of the leadership of the Democratic Party that people should remain calm and this too shall pass. And, um, and I think that a better approach absolutely would have been we have to mobilize um, the, uh, and get people out into the streets. Um, we need to block this from going forward. Um, and, and I think that this is something that liberals often fall prey to, of just sort of like, let's let the law take care of this. And, um, and, and then things will work out. Uh, but I think we have to remember, in 1898, there was a coup in Wilmington, North Carolina when a, um, a populist, racially mixed um, uh, uh, um, set of candidates were elected to office. And these white supremacists carried out an armed insurrection against them. And uh, with the idea of um, removing them for office because from their standpoint, this was an illegitimate election. History's repeated itself. Now, what happened in 1898 is that the insurrection succeeded and neither the state government of North Carolina nor the federal government did anything about it. My guess is that something will happen this time. The question is whether what Trump wants to do now is to declare martial law. Do you think the best way, let me ask you this. One of the confusions seems to be the left's response or progressive left liberal response to sort of what the state is capable of doing and how we should relate to the state. So in other words, before Biden was elected, I had sort of thought to myself, one of the challenges we're going to face when Biden gets in office is that, yes, there's going to be a left and a progressive movement that's hostile to him, sometimes for um, 
very legitimate reasons. As you've said over and over again, we cannot give him a honeymoon period. At the same time, it seems to me that we need a left that is sophisticated enough to understand that we have to defend existing institutions, however flawed and fucked up they may be, uh, from right-wing attacks, from, right. from non-state actors on the right who I think over the next four years, what we saw in Nashville, I expect to see more of that. What we're mm-hmm. seeing today, I expect to see more of that. Um, what do you think about how the left positions itself vis-a-vis the state with Biden in office, understanding he has to be pressured, but also understanding that we're going to need the state apparatus to put down some of these efforts? We have to be very clear that we're defenders of democracy. We defend democracy and we fight to expand it. What we see right now is an attempt to to thwart democracy and to instill uh, some sort of autocracy. And we cannot be sitting back passively while that's happening. And I think that there's segments of the left, particularly the ultra left, that take a sort of agnostic view on this. And... um, that view is unpolitical, it is infantile, and uh, is something that we meet, need to reject. So you don't think the question is so much around how we relate to the state as much as the concept of democracy, defending that concept? We have to defend democracy. And right now, that means that democratic capitalism is better than fascism. Um, And as you said, that there's all kinds of flaws that are inherent in democratic capitalism. That's right. But the point is that the the people right now that are trying to carry out this coup attempt, they mean to end democracy. And we can't let that happen. I liked your, you had posted something the other day. It resonated uh, with me being in the area that we're in. You, you also take I think a nuanced position in what organizing would look like, even if you have to deal with Trump supporters. In other words, we're in Northwest Indiana where I'm located. Mm -hmm. If we have to organize within the USW, there's a good chance we're going to have to run into and work with Trump supporters, say on a specific campaign or issue. But the point you made earlier is also very clear and very important. And that is there is a significant segment of Trump supporters that you cannot speak to. Now, I don't Mm -hmm. know if the people watching or listening to this have family members or friends who are like this, but I have former friends and family members who are telling me that the sky is green and the grass is blue, and it doesn't matter what I tell them. It won't make a difference whatsoever. They are gone. I mean, they might as well, zombies might as well have taken the brains out of their head and eaten them. Um, There's no speaking with them. People, I think, ask themselves, well, how do you deal with those folks? Do you, do you, Uh, take them into consideration if you're organizing. I mean, I worry that we're going to be in a position where these people are going to become increasingly violent. And therefore, my question around the state sort of has to do with how do we deal with entities or what is the position that the left should have with, say, violent entities who are proposing this kind of violence, you know, against... They need to be crushed. Yeah. They need to be crushed, pure and simple. I mean... There's two parts to this thing. One is, what do you do with organized groups? And then the other is, what do you do with individuals who are zombies? And so with regard to individuals, my conclusion has been for a while that you don't spend time trying to convince them out of their zombieism if 
if they are reasonable enough that you can organize them around certain issues, so much the better, right? But that you don't spend a lot of time because precisely because they are trapped in a delusional bubble. They're not coming back based on individual arguments. I was reading something before this call uh, about someone who was talking to some Trump supporters in Georgia and um, was asking them, well, what about the president's call to the Secretary of State, the Georgia Secretary of State? And the person completely ignored the question and went on to talk about dead people voting and all of these things that there's no substantiation. And, and that should tell us something about this is not, it's not, this is not something that's workable. What do you think the role is for left media in a, in a spot like this? It seems one of the things we've done a poor job of is having a coherent and consistent message instead of, say, even the last few weeks has been frustrating as hell. You see people sniping at each other on radio shows and YouTube programs. I mean, this kind of shit to me is really unhelpful at a time when we're facing these kind of threats. So when I think of a left-wing media, I think, yeah, of course you're going to have people who are going to have their own independent editorial lines, and I get that. At the same time, it seems to me that we should be sophisticated and coherent enough as a movement and as left-wing media entities to when it makes sense to sort of corral ourselves around certain messaging uh, to, to make sure that we're kind of promoting a similar uh, path forward, even if it's in the short term, even if we disagree on other things. Um, that won't happen spontaneously. No, I, I mean, it, yeah. it, it's, it's, you know, somebody needs to take the lead in, um, in organizing such an echo chamber. Yeah. Um, because they have that, it, Bill, and they and do it well. They, they do because they organize it. Yeah. Right. It's not just that it happens. I think that one of the things that happens within uh, left and progressive circles is that we just sort of think that this stuff happens. It doesn't. It's organized. Um, and so the reality is that um, the, first of all, I think that the, the first part of your question is that people need to be educated through left and progressive media. And, and so we need to be breaking down what's going on, but also breaking down difficult concepts. Part of what left and progressive media needs to be doing is breaking down very difficult concepts, but also explaining what's happening. And I don't mean just domestically. Um, one of the things that I have faulted MSNBC for, and I, don't, I consider them liberal, is this obsession on electoral politics when there's a whole planet with all kinds of things going on that regular people reg, you know, don't often have an opportunity to understand and get, um, be made aware. So, um, so I think that the critical thing is, is an educational role, uh, promoting debate, but also then if you wanna have echo chambers, someone, an institution needs to take the lead in actually helping to make that happen. You know, the, our version of what the Heritage Foundation has done over the years. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't agree more on that. What do you think we can learn from international movements, even movements in the United States in the past? So drawing from history, but also from contemporary examples, 
what do you think we could learn from movements around the world and even from our own history about how to battle right-wing populist nationalist movements? Well, several things. One is that um, we need to have a radical alternative to the existing system to the left. Uh, The second is that passivity never works. Um, And that in the face of these attempts uh, like coups, that you need to mobilize people. Uh, And I think that successful blockages have shown that. I think another thing that has been demonstrated is the importance of non-cooperation with coup people. It's really important that there is no cooperation, that there's no legitimacy that's given to the coup coup people. That means rejecting them at every turn. At every turn. Including those around. I mean, in my thinking, any person who enabled anything that's happened over the last four years with this guy, but particularly over the last three months, uh, they should be banished from civic society. I agree. I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm quite serious about exploring the issue of criminal charges against Trump. Okay. Um, I mean, when he, he's giving speeches that he will not accept the election and inciting people, you know. This also, to me, Bill, reminds me of a conversation we had a few months ago. And it so getting back to, say, the left and its position, um, say, vis-a-vis the police. Mm-hmm. What could we do? It, it, it seemed clear to me that at some point, these Trump people, which they've started to do, I'm sure you've seen some of this too. Now the Trumpers are attacking the police, throwing shit at them, firing fireworks at them. There's been some really interesting things that I've seen over the last few weeks. And I think to myself, we understand the institution of policing, as we've talked about. We understand the role that it plays uh, in our society that can be destructive, particularly uh, for black people, for indigenous people, for poor people. Mm-hmm. But it also seems clear to me that it would make more sense for us to be organizing when there's an opportunity with the police instead of outright sort of banishing them from any kind of organizing efforts or, or, or potential organizing efforts. Naturally already aligned with the right, but in my thinking, we shouldn't push them further uh, to be aligned with these Trump people that, you know, these kind of opportunities when you have Trump people in the streets, pepper spraying the cops, throwing shit at them, fighting with them. If the left takes uh, maybe a nuanced position here, we might be able to, I think, uh, have a space uh, to speak with some of those people. Is that, do you think that's that's true? I'm not sure that it works. I I, I don't mean that you create unnecessary enemies. Um, I don't know what organizing within the police means in real terms. Um, But what I do think is that the critical thing is demanding accountability on the part of the police so that in such situation like what we're facing right now, they do not take a passive role. They do not sit back, that they are expected to enforce the law. Vince, I think in light of what's happening today, I'm going to have to cut this short uh, because I'm getting all these calls and I'm going to have to respond. Yeah. So uh, I'm really sorry about that, but obviously none of us expected this exactly. No, no. Um, 
and I don't want to waste your time. I mean, we've been we. No, I, you're not wasting my time. This is very important. I've also. But it's just more like I got to get get back to this. Yeah. No, I hear you. Okay. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Appreciate bro. it. Take care. Bye.